Now I'm gonna explain to you real quick. Can you walk in? There's a reason for it. Obviously, you have a big following. You are pretty vocal on social media about Bitcoin. How'd you get started? Sure. Um, I mean, I got started a while ago, but I, I had no idea what I was doing, right? Like in college and... You know, I, I think I came across the Rolling Stone article and everyone was talking about it. And, you know, friends in college were like, oh, you could use Bitcoin to buy drugs. I was like, oh, OK, what's this Bitcoin thing? And, you know, I, I, uh, I, I had a stint playing video games and I knew about like e-gold and things like that. And, you know, being someone who was born into the Internet, it just made sense to me. Digital money. OK, that makes sense. Maybe I'll buy some and, you know, see, see what happens. So it was I bought a little bit in 2013, uh, kind of at the top. And then we we totally crashed and tanked. And um, I was like, all right, well, I guess I uh, better hold on to this. I, you know, there's no there's no use in panic selling it. So held on to it. Uh, didn't take my own advice. I was talking to a friend. It was like, oh, I should probably just buy more. Unfortunately, uh, did not do that. You know, a few few years go by and uh, uh, Bitcoin's not dead. It's still it's still around. So I'm paying hmm. a little more attention, a little more attention. Um, but you know, I'm still kind of focused on other things. You know, I, I, I went to film school and I was busy with, with that, uh, part of my life and kind of getting into the film industry. Um, but as I was coming out of film school, uh, it was 2017 and it was the bull run. And like many people, I was just obsessed. My, you know, I woke up every morning, my, my, my roommates and I would talk about crypto at the time, uh, before I kind of went full Bitcoin. Um, and I knew, I didn't know what I wanted to do in the industry, but I knew that I had to, that this was something I had to be a part of. Um, I had to work in, at the time in crypto. Um, and so I, I was working on some films, some really bad independent films that I hope no one ever sees. Uh, <laughs> please don't go look, look them up. Um, and I was like, I got to get out of this, 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 uh, hell hole of an industry. And so I, I started working in the crypto industry, um, and I actually started lampooning it. I started making fun of it because I saw all these scams and all these, you know, these people trying to take people's money and all these pump and dumps. And I was like, there's a lot of bad shit going on here. Um, and as I was doing that and kind of exploring all the, the, the shit coins, you know, a couple of good people uh, reached out to me. You know, they, they saw that I wasn't uh, an unintelligent person. They said, look, you know, well, what are you doing? Like, stop, stop looking at these, these nonsense coins. You need to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole because even, you know, back in 2013, I didn't, I didn't know what a blockchain was. I, I hadn't really done my research on Bitcoin. And so um, a few good people reached out and I started listening to, uh, you know, the Tales from the Crypt podcast and reading a few books. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. And, you know, I made my way into uh to what I consider the really important aspect of what's really going on, which is Bitcoin. And uh, now I'm working at Swan as their uh, creative director, where I get to kind of take some of my old film skills and put them to use and, you know, educate people. And uh, I'm basically just, just all in. What do you, uh, what do you think of my son was a big player and in, in um, played FIFA on, I don't know mm -hmm. whether it was Xbox or something. And I watched him get a lot of digital coin and, I associate what you talked about earlier with gaming, with, with digital currency, and now you kind of have this generational shift where my son was already using that. He's 22 now. He's been using it for something better part of 10 years, I think, right? Or maybe it was a little less, maybe seven years. Do you think the current generation was dramatically affected by that? I think that's Captain Obvious, but I remember watching him buy more coin, earn more token, 
and really being immersed in the process of buying more skins and and being able to have a better team and trade players. And now you see that digital thing happening where that's all, you know, in terms of crypto, looking at all the use and functionality of it, is that is that, how big of a driver is that? I mean, I know it got me in there, and I think it's definitely a driver with 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 people these days. I think the difference, though, and what's really cool is like back in the day, or with, with FIFA or World of Warcraft, or you know, people use playing these games where there are these in-game economies. The money was was fake, right? Like there was no actual control over it. You couldn't you couldn't take your money out of the game, right? Like mm-hmm. Bitcoin is digital money, and it's yours. You know, it, it actually enables it empowers people. Whereas before, you're kind of stuck in these walled gardens of you know, these money-making machines of the, of the video game companies. And we're actually starting to see um, Bitcoin get infused into bit, into video games, which I that to me, that's one of the most exciting things. Where, where, there, where people are paying, actually, they're paying for things inside a video game with, with crypto? Um, not quite that, but more like um, uh, play to earn. You know, like there's a company called Zebedee um, that's built a, a platform where you can play CSGO. It's like a first-person shooter. And if you shoot somebody else, you take their Bitcoin. You know, you can put oh, wow. real money on the line. So it's uh, wow. it's evolving. It's still young. It's but, like a form uh, of gambling you know, a little bit. A little form of gambling. Yeah, a little bit. So Skill you're based, you're the so. creative director for, director for Swan. I don't want to get too far in the podcast without knowing what Swan is. So can you tell our audience what Swan is, how you use it, and how you came about being part of it? Sure thing. Um, so Swan Bitcoin is, I think, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys and instant buys. You know, we're sort of a competitor to the Coinbase's and the cash cash apps of the world. But what sets us apart is that, you know, we're Bitcoin only and we're there to sort of guide people on their journey. Our, our We like to say that education is our marketing. Um, so we put a, a real focus on educational content and teaching people and, you know, everyone at the company is a hardcore Bitcoiner. So we all live it. We all love it. And we're all here for this Bitcoin revolution. And, you know, we, we kind of started actually as a way to give Bitcoin and the company evolved into Swan um, partially because there were a lot of Bitcoiners out there who didn't want to send their friends and family to what we called like, well, what I call like the shitcoin casinos to the coin bases of the world, to the places that are just focused on trading. You know, like Bitcoin to me is Bitcoin's my savings account. Bitcoin is how I escape from uh, from inflation. You know, so what do I need to learn how to trade for? Like, I'm, I'm an artist. That's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Swan is like, you can send your family there, your mom, your grandma, your dad, and and know that they're taken care of. And so there's a, to me, that's a real difference. So it's a sa- if it's a safe environment. Exactly. You know, like we we encourage uh, withdrawals. Like we want people to take self custody, but we don't force people to do that. But we kind of hold your hand and guide you to the point where hopefully you'll be ready to to really take advantage of everything that Bitcoin has to offer. Hmm. Well, it's really been an evolving market. I was just thinking, you know, I was just thinking of Mount Gox and all the things that I remember mm-hmm. back when when I had a guy work for me who mined five thousand Bitcoin and it was a it was five bucks. And he needed money, and he had to sell it in some weird way, where he sold it to someone, and then they sent him the cash. And I'm like, "You're you're sending Bitcoin, and then hoping they're going to send you money, and then cash came in the mail." And I thought, "Wow, that really seems like the <laughs> wrong thing to do, right?" But he sold five thousand Bitcoin for five bucks, got about twenty five thousand dollars because I know there were some fees involved, mm-hmm. and obviously today that's worth a hundred and like eighty million or some ridiculous number. And I've been in financial services for 32 years, so I've watched Bitcoin start from really nothing 
you know, the pizza that's sold and all, you know, you learn about this and go, oh, the people are crazy. And then now, you know, now we're a miner. We just spent $162 million on buying new miners, the S, uh, the S19 XPs, 140 terahash. We're one mm-hmm. of the first companies, the first five companies to be invited to participate in that. I flew to Dubai, signed a deal, was on, you know, camera with Bitmain. Um, we're pretty, we're pretty hardcore into it. We bought a data center. Um, what do you think of the Bitcoin mining industry? I know it's a, it's a necessary part of the ecosystem, but where does Swan kind of fall in line with that? Uh, I mean, Swan is, you know, we're not, we're not miners and we get a lot of qu- questions about mining because I, I think like anyone who gets into Bitcoin is immediately drawn to the idea of like, oh, I can, I can plug a machine into the wall and start getting Bitcoin, right? I think <laughs> everyone's kind of da- dabbled with that idea to some extent, you know. For us, miners are, they're a vital part of the ecosystem. They secure Bitcoin. They're what, what our freedom is built on, right? So sure. um, right now, it's just, it's an exciting time to be a miner. You know, it's never been more profitable. It's hard to get your hands on, on S19. Impossible. So, right. <laughs> so, so, so do you come yeah. down, do you come down on the side of the Winklevi who think it's a store of value or do you see it as a, as a ultimately on the lightning network, a payment processing how do you see it? Are you more of a Michael Saylor where it's a store of value and you're not really going to exchange it all the time? Or do you, or do you see it as uh, all, all of the above? Uh, I would definitely say all of the above, you know, like we, we look at the history of money, right. And everyone always says that money has to start off as a, you know, a co- collectible and then it becomes uh, you know, it, it has this, this trajectory that's, that's always happened. Like the way that, that gold became money. Right. But Bitcoin is unlike any money that we've ever seen. And I think Bitcoin, one of the cool things about Bitcoin is that it's different things to different people, right? Like I went down to El Salvador recently where they made Bitcoin legal tender. And, you know, to see the way that people treat Bitcoin there, it, you know, it blows your mind. You know, I was in a, um, a pupuseria, a little place where they're selling um, the local food there. And in walks a group of, I think, eight to 10 year old kids. They pull out their smartphones. They use the Lightning Network to buy cornmeal to take home. And I'm just like, this is game over. Bitcoin's won. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're living in a world in which they're printing, I don't even know, know how much money they're printing every second of the day, right? And so, you know, to me, Bitcoin is 100% a store of value, but for those people in need, for those people who want to spend it, um, why not? You know, mm-hmm. spend and replace, use it as your savings account, keep some Bitcoin to, 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 do, to use in the world of video games and spend on skins or whatever makes you happy. But, you know, it's, it's all those things and more. How, how was El Salvador, by the way? Did you feel safe there or no? I did, actually. Um, you know, I asked people about it when I was down there, and they basically told me that the dangerous parts of the country are kind of places that no tourists would ever go, far away in the north where the gangs are. But I went to Bitcoin Beach, to the, the little town of El Zante, which is kind of like the, the nucleus of, of Bitcoin down there. And, you know, everyone was smiling and welcoming. And, you know, I, I never felt in danger whatsoever. It was, it's a, it's a really beautiful place. I think every, everyone should go check it out. What do you think about what they're doing down there in terms of Bitcoin City, the idea of giving all their all their citizens um, Bitcoin and, and them making it a legal tender? What, I mean, obviously, you're pro that, so am I. But in terms of it actually happening and acting out and it becoming a way of life, what do you think about what's happening there? So far, my expectations have actually kind of been blown away. Um, you know, in, in Bitcoin Beach specifically, um, I think about at the time, and this was before the law went into effect, 
you know, most of the merchants there, um, they accepted Bitcoin. Some of them liked it, some didn't. Um, I met people who, you know, were anti-Bitcoin because they were anti-Ukele. They were against the president. Um, but from what I've seen so far, you know, the adoption rate has just been skyrocketing. The country is, you know, Bitcoin's gone up. They've been able to use some of those profits to build schools and hospitals and all sorts of things. So to me, you know, some might call it an experiment. Um, some might say it's, you know, risk on. I don't think it's risk on. Mm. You know, I think this is something that is going to pay off big time. I think El Salvador is going to become the Singapore of uh, of Central America. I think it was Nick Carter who, who originally said that. But, you know, it's going to change everything down there. And I think you're, we're already starting to see it. And the, the one thing that I'm interested in seeing or seeing how it plays out. I'm wondering, maybe you have some thoughts on this. You know, it's kind of a big F you to the IMF. And this is like the first time a country has finally said like, look, we're done. We're going to do it our way. We're going to use Bitcoin and we'll see what happens. Uh, I think people, uh, let me answer that. My, I'll give you my opinion about this. When I'm a mm -hmm. student of history and when I went to school, high school, college, um, I really figured out that history repeats itself over time. People don't see that. Like every generation thinks their problems are the worst problems ever. And oh my God, the next election is the most important ever. Every politician ever says that. But what people don't understand is your problems today are the most important problems, mm -hmm. but you can learn from the past. People say that it's cliche, but it's true. And I don't think people in America, United States specifically, understand that the actual currency of this country has not really been steady for the last 200 years. And if you look at what that cost structure is, when JP Morgan kind of rescued the treasury, bought gold, all the things that he did, there was sort of one man in charge and they built the federal reserve around it. This is still an experiment. And people, I think people don't understand until they have a shock. And I'm going to give you an example of which, it's probably far off from really reality in terms of why a person loses their innocence, right? I lost my innocence on 9-11. I worked on Wall Street. I believed that we were the good guys. I didn't think anyone really wanted to hurt us. I know the Iranians had a problem during the Carter administration with the hostages. But when I saw my friends die at World Trade Center, I the bloom was off the rose for me. I learned like, wow, it could be different. In 2008, it was different again. And then I saw the government taking property from people. I saw a, 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 a guy who was a drug dealer who was selling drugs in his parents' home, and the government took their home from them. And they resold the home. They took all their assets. And, and I understood why Bitcoin erupted from this, what the, what the crisis of 2008 was. And so I don't think people really understand that these events for people today – are real. Like, yes, there were there were different times in 2000 and 1941 when Pearl Harbor happened. Everyone has their issues at that time. But people think things last forever and they don't. And the idea that the current currency system, which is plagued with issues, right? Meaning it used to cost a dollar a gallon for gas. Now it's $6 in some places. That politicians are in charge of what they're printing, and because of the because of this device right here, the phone, people have figured out that they can become digital, and Bitcoin represented freedom for these people to not have to rely on the government for everything. Right, and 
And so I answered your question in a weird way by saying the IMF is like the government to these individual countries, right? And El Salvador basically said, we're going to try things a little different now. You, denominated in dollars, are not going to control our destiny. We're going to control our own destiny. We're going to mine our own Bitcoin. We're going to buy, we're going to take some of our fiat and we're going to go and put it on balance sheet and we're going to control some of our own destiny. It's a great experiment. But it's not as unusual as people think. There was a small country, uh, you know, we were a colony, and we broke away from England. We created our own currency. This is what happens. And so to me, Bitcoin, like Michael Saylor talks about, is becoming the world's currency. It's becoming the world's store of value where not one person can control the process, right? And I just think that part is unstoppable, and people don't understand it. And they're going to understand it when they wake up one day, and Bitcoin's a million bucks a coin, and they don't understand you can, You don't have to have a million bucks to buy Bitcoin. You can buy fractional Satoshis. You can go to Swan and you can, you can control your own destiny. You can gift coin. You can pay things with it. You can send it to friends. This is just the beginning. And, and El Salvador is basically saying, hey, we're tired of getting our teeth kicked in. We're going to try something different. That's what I think. And the leader is a younger guy. And so he's saying, hey, I bought into this. I don't know who talked him into it. Um, but uh, I think this guy has... He hit. What did he have to lose, right? What did he, what did what did El Salvador have to lose? What is Venezuela, of any country out there, Venezuela that has more oil than pretty much anybody? They're up there. They're up there in the in the regions of Saudi Arabia. Tons of oil. What would it be like for them to do the same thing? Take those petrodollars and put that into Bitcoin. I think El Salvador represents people saying, "Oh, it's just El Salvador." Yeah. Uh huh. It'll be others too, right? It's the tip of the iceberg, and you needed someone that wasn't the mainstream to do it, and for them to pave the way to show other countries, hey, the IMF can't kick us around. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to try more than one thing. We're not going to just we're not going to just buy into begging for money from the IMF. Effectively, I don't know. Did I cover that the way you thought I would? I mean, what are, what are your thoughts? No, I think you're totally right. I mean, people underestimate El Salvador, right? I mean. Going back to Singapore as an example, how small is Singapore? It's tiny, but how big is their economic impact? It's huge. You know? Or go back, you said you're a student of history, look back at uh, the empire that England have, had. Sure. England was a tiny nation, and yet they controlled the world because they embraced you know, sailing technology. So I, I think you're, you're, you're on the money there, but the one thing that's really, um, I think, mind-boggling to me, and to contrast it with the Venezuelas of the world, for example, this guy, Nayib Bukele, He's in order to embrace Bitcoin, he said, what do I have to lose? There's one thing he had to lose, and that's the ability to print money. Now, yeah, he could go and you know, make his own fiat currency again if he wanted to, but you know, he has let go of, of power that has traditionally been held by, by rulers. You know, and I, I think, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out, but I think that, it, that he actually just has this vision of the future and he can see past the sort of individual selfishness that a lot of rulers might have, right? He's giving something up so that his country can prosper. And by, by embracing Bitcoin, by, you know, ceding some of your power to the monetary policy of Bitcoin, he knows that that's going to, to vastly improve his own country. So it's, it's a wild time. It's, it's, it, 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 I need to go back there and, uh, and visit and see, see what's happening in a year from now because I think it'll be dramatically different. I haven't studied how he did it. I mean, he obviously had treasury money. He, has, he obviously had support from 
his own country, his own exports. He had he had on balance sheet capital wherever he, they held the, the state treasury. He obviously produces state treasury dollars in so, to some capacity, and he's he's doing that and putting that on balance sheet. So more power to him. I think it's uh, I think it's amazing. I don't. What what are the other countries that you know of right now that are really adopting it? Is anyone really doing what El Salvador does yet? I I heard the Ukraine was going to do it, but then I haven't. I mean. Who's actually doing something that El Salvador is doing right now? That's the thing. I know I don't think there's anyone out there like El Salvador. There's some countries that have, you know, not, you know, made it decriminalized or are have kind of made it made the regulatory environment better for Bitcoin, but you know, there's been rumors here and there of countries, you know, that might embrace it in the way El Salvador has, but no nobody so far. I feel like the world is kind of waiting with bated breath to to see what happens. Um but you know, it's just the first domino, and I think more will fall soon, especially th- in places like Central America. I don't think people understand that there's not actually really a printing press. What actually happens <laughs> is the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, they go in and digitally send more money into the system. And they once Congress prints the ability for them to do that in a bill of law and says, hey, we approve this budget – the Treasury, uh, you know, sells notes. The Fed buys them, and it's a digital entry. And all of a sudden, now there's more digital money that's in the banking system that's got to get out there. I, I don't know that how I don't know how this it plays itself out. But what are your thoughts around Michael Saylor's? I mean, he is he has become like a legendary and and in, <laughs> in his commentary. What are your thoughts about him as a spokesman and the three and a half billion dollars he's put on balance sheet that's now worth seven billion? I think it's going to go down as the greatest, uh, not trade, series of trades in history. You know, he's, uh, I think he's the spoke, one of the, one of the spokespeople we needed. He's not, you know, there's some issues that I disagree. Like he's not so big on, on, on privacy and things like that. But, you know, in terms of bringing Bitcoin to the mainstream and making it palatable for, uh, people in the corporate world and, you know, he, he set off this latest bull run, bull run. I don't think anyone can kind of, you know, dispute that. That's what started it. That's what's, that's what brought us to where we are. And, you know, he's a very eloquent guy. You know, his metaphors are, you know, poetic in a way. Part of me thinks he's got a, a screenwriting team sitting there just, you know, writing quotes for him, but I don't think so. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a smart guy. So. Yeah. MIT guy. I understand you're going to be writing a book or have a book coming out. I'd love to chat about that. Obviously it's about Bitcoin. I assume uh, can you kind of give a little people their audience a little heads up? Because you've been in there a long time. You 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 know, I'm sure people are going to want to read it. Can you tell us about it? Sure thing. Um, it's it's called Rhyming Bitcoin, and it, and it came out because um, you know there's a lot of beginner so-called beginner books out there which are great, but you know a lot of them kind of miss the mark and they don't excite people in the way that I, I thought I could excite people. And so I put my thinking cap on. And I basically. I said to myself, what would Dr. Seuss do if he was a Bitcoiner like myself? So <laughs> the entire thing is written in rhyme. Uh, I've got a Chilean Bitcoin artist who's fantastic, and she is um, she's doing the illustrations now. And so we're, we're actually aiming to have it come out by the Bitcoin conference in uh, Miami uh, next year. Yeah, so, we'll be there. We'll be there for sure. Oh, excellent. And, and it's called Rhyming Bitcoin? Rhyming Bitcoin, yeah. You got to tell us about it. We have a big audience at risk on... <laughs> And I, I'd love to get some copies. I'd love to bring you on the show. Um, you, ever, you ever make it to Vegas? Uh, my brother loves Vegas. I have a love-hate relationship, but I'm here in L.A., so it's very close. Oh. Happy, we can easily make the drive. Oh, I, I, grew up, I, I grew up in Orange County. Oh, perfect. I know you're a film guy, and you 
went to film school. I understand you're involved in some documentaries. What 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 are you doing there in the documentary side? Are you still using your film skills? Are you using it for educational purposes? What's happening in your film career? Sure. So um, it's funny enough, I actually swore off filmmaking. I've had enough. I said to myself, I'll never make another movie again unless it's for Bitcoin. And uh, a few years later, um, over at Swan, we decided that we're kind of in a unique position to bring together creators and financiers and, and put together uh, Bitcoin-related content because there are some great documentaries and amazing shows out there, but um, there isn't a lot of content that is sort of cinema Netflix quality. So um, that's what we're, we're focused on right now. At least that's what I'm focused on right now with Swan Studios. Um, we put out a few sort of short documentaries. We've got a few feature length ones in the works, a, few, a narrative feature that we're involved in. And I'm uh, taking meetings left and right with anyone in the Bitcoin industry who's a filmmaker and, you know, seeing what we can do because, um, you know, in my background, I, I studied international relations and propaganda. And I, I studied how all sorts of different governments use their film industries to, you know, push their agendas. And, to me, a, a good film is better than, you know, a good book. You know, you can, you know, it's the reason why an image is better than words, right? You know, you, you can you can really reach people and pull out their emotions and, and kind of get to the why something is important and, you know, Bitcoin is important. So, you know, if we can bring the power of film to bear on something like Bitcoin, I think we can really make an impact. So we've, we've been involved in uh, a few films so far, one of which is called This Machine Greens. Um, it's made by a, a really talented filmmaker out of the UK named Jamie King. And basically, um, it's only about 30 minutes, but it's an attempt to bring together some of the brightest minds around Bitcoin and dispel the, the FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt around Bitcoin's energy consumption. You know, because Bitcoin, you know, obviously consumes a lot of energy, but it's worth it. And there's good reasons why. And much of the energy that's used is green energy. And it's, uh, it's something that Bitcoiners have been fighting for a long time. So we wanted to make sort of a definitive... Uh, film that you can show folks and say, look, watch this. Stop worrying about Bitcoin's energy consumption. It's worth it. Um, I'll, the other def one I'll that, definitely uh, watch that for sure. I'll definitely watch that. I, I get a lot of grief. We use nuclear energy, nuclear power, and it's just it's such nonsense. They don't realize what search engine companies use, what data centers use. Far more consumption than Bitcoin mining. It's just a, it's a farce. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a political statement. It's a way of trying to discourage the, the mining industry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the other film, uh, though, is it's, it's a shorter film, but it's one that uh, it's just infused with hope. It's called Bitcoin is Generational Wealth. Uh, it was written by um, one of my coworkers over at Swan, a guy named uh, Tomer Strolight, and the filmmaker uh, is a young guy out of Canada named Matt Hornick. And it's, it's made with found footage, but it basically imagines, you know, the world. Well, actually, it takes you back to 1948, and then it takes you to 20, 2048, 2148, sorry, you know, and it imagines this world of hyper-Bitcoinization. You know, Bitcoiners have been talking about it, but this film is basically puts to visuals, what would that look like? And it's one of the most hopeful videos I've ever seen. Um, so highly, highly recommend checking it out. Got it. I, I asked the question earlier about what do you think the future of Bitcoin looks like out six months, maybe 18 months? What do you think is kind of next on the horizon? It's... It's hard to say, right? You know, everyone was saying that we'd be at 100K by December and who knows, you know, to me, we've seen the things that are important are sort of the upgrades, the things that you don't see, you know, Taproot just came out. Um, the mining space is more resilient than ever. You know, we had the China ban and, and look what's happened. We bounced back. Um, Taproot Tap was a big deal. Taproot was a big deal. I don't think people understand that. Mm -hmm. the, can you talk about, can you talk about Taproot a little bit? Um, 
on the technical side? I'm, just no, no, I'm no. I actually, person, I actually but. prefer you not to be technical. I just want to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts on what Taproot is, or kind of what when you think about it, you know, in terms of simple terms for people to understand what it kind of means. Like, I, it's obviously going to make things easier, more efficient. But do you have any commentary on it at all? The, I think the really important thing about Taproot, among other things, is that it shows that Bitcoin can upgrade in a way that is nonviolent. You know, in years previously, um, you know, there were hard forks and, you know, Bitcoin Cash came about and all these other things. Um, and these days, a lot of people, at least in the crypto side of things, tend to say that Bitcoin is like a, you know, a pet rock. It doesn't change. It doesn't improve. And I think it, that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, Taproot proves that. And we did it in a way with, with almost, not, I wouldn't say without any disagreement, but with, but with the right kinds of disagreements. You know, we're arguing over something that's so important. And so when Taproot um, was enabled, you know, it, it basically showed to the world that, look, Bitcoin can change, it can get better, and it's going to continue doing so. Um, it, it was so a, it's, it's me, a, that's what's exciting. It's an upgrade that makes it more efficient, allows you to use smart contracts, better smart contracts. Mm -hmm. It allows, like like the Lightning Network, for more speed and usability. There's a lot of things that tap way over my technical capabilities. Um, in terms of going back to that 100000 of Bitcoin, I know that that's in people's head. But when you listen to Michael Saylor talk about digital gold and actual gold and how they dilute gold at 2% a year – and you start to pay attention to the fact that you can't really dilute Bitcoin. There's only mm -hmm. going to be 21 million Bitcoin. Then you can see that scenario where you have a $10 trillion asset. And so inevitably, you see this growing to a big multi-trillion dollar asset class. My, my question to you is, like, have you, do you know something on the horizon that no one else knows? Or like you think, <laughs> how big could this be, could be? I mean, one of the things I'm looking at is Fidelity just is launching an ETF in Canada the U.S. is still behind in doing a cash ETF. They clearly have a futures ETF. But in your mind, is it is it unstoppable now? Is Bitcoin unstoppable? Or do you still think that people are going to try to kill it? Oh, I think people are going to try to kill it. But I also think it's unstoppable. You know, I think Bitcoin is going to eat the monetary premium of almost everything else on, on planet Earth. When people finally come to the conclusion and, you know, kicking and screaming, some of them, they might fight against it. But, you know, why wouldn't you store your value in something like Bitcoin that's completely liquid at all times? You know, I'm, uh, you know, you look at the real estate markets now and it's, and it's crazy, you know, but Bitcoin fixes that. Bitcoin fixes a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So um, it's going to take some time, you know, but when push comes to shove, you know, there's a meme out there, uh, in, in infinity over 21 million, right? That's what the value of Bitcoin is. Huh. You know, it, it, it's... There's no limit as long as it, it, the more people there are, the higher the price of Bitcoin will go. You know, may, at some point it'll probably reach an equilibrium, but I don't think we're anywhere close to that right now. How, how do people follow you on social media? Uh, my handle is at BVBTC on uh, Twitter and Instagram. There are many imposter accounts. Please beware. Do not send them any Bitcoin. Uh, they are trying to scam you. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely put up the right address for everyone down in the comments section. We'll have it on the screen <laughs> so everyone can see that and make sure they can follow you there. In terms of Swan, how do they find it? How do they use it? Is there a referral code that you can give them, something they can do to sign up? What what has to happen? Uh, sure. Um, we, we Actually, if you'd like, we can get one set up for you. We can do swanbitcoin.com slash Todd or slash Todd Alt. Um, we can put that in the uh, in the show notes for you and get that for you uh, pretty soon. And if they use that link, they'll get ten dollars of Bitcoin when they sign up. Oh, wow! Um, 
Yep. So it's a, it's a great program. And honestly, if, if for people, even if they're not ready, um, we do things like we give away free books. So you can go to swanbitcoin.com slash free book. You'll get a copy of Inventing Bitcoin. It's one of my favorite Bitcoin books out there. And, you know, if you're, you're you just want to get your feet wet and learn a little bit first, you know, we just want people to, to, to learn about Bitcoin. What do you think about you? I, I would really like to talk to you about, we have a risk on convention happening in May. Hopefully you can come out and join us, be a speaker at the conference, maybe have Swan there, talk about the product, et cetera. Um, that'd be great. I mean, I, do you do any public speaking like that? Sure. Uh, I'd love that. We've got, uh, our whole team is made up of Bitcoin educators. So we've got plenty of people who um, are always looking for opportunities to go out and spread the good word about Bitcoin. Although, you know, Todd, Bitcoin, is it's a risk off asset. Okay. I, I take umbrage with the fact that uh, you say, I know you love risk on, but uh, I'm just kidding here. Well, I, well, it's a different analogy about risk on. So I, the Wall Street has taken that in terms of investing. I've taken it in terms of how I've changed what I've done in terms of not conforming to the norm. I mean, I founded a biotech company. I've taken over several companies uh, publicly, and I've taken a lot of heat for that. But my risk on moment, probably similar to yours, was how do I step out of, you know, I grew up basically in HUD housing in Fullerton, California, single mom, never had a father till I was 13, uh, was not part of the traditional education system, did not have anyone wanting to pay for my school like I did for my kids. And so for me, risk on is about being focused, taking on an initiative. There's an acronym there. Part of the risk on is, is like for R is relationships, developing relationships. And, and I cover that in, in what risk on means to me. I understand Wall Street has that risk on, risk off. To me, the risk on moment is not being in Bitcoin. I actually think mm -hmm. people have to understand that I – have made these mistakes myself where I have decided why would I need a cell phone when I can just use my pager and I can go to a pay phone. People have to understand the world is digitalizing and there's a generational gap here. And the younger generation, people like my kids who have never known their life without their smartphone, they don't want money. They don't, when I give them cash, they say, what am I going to do with this? Send me a Venmo, <laughs> send me a cash app. I don't want this. I don't want this money. And there's a revolution going on. I don't. Th I think it's not stoppable. You cannot stop what's happening, and therefore the risk on moment is not embracing it and understanding it. Hey, Brecky, I appreciate you being here. I, I love the fact that you got and started in Bitcoin when you were younger, and you continue to be an advocate for it at Swan. We're going to put up on the screen how you guys can get ten dollars of Bitcoin if you sign up for Swan. Brecky, follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. Obviously, he's an educator. This is really important. For those people out there who want to learn about Bitcoin, want to do it in a safe environment, you heard Brecky talk about his family being able to be there, et cetera. Brecky, thank you so much for being on the show. Obviously, I'm excited. We're, we think a lot alike in the sense that you like Bitcoin, I like Bitcoin. Hopefully, we can see you at the RiskOn conference. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Todd. I'd love to be there and uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on. All right, guys. This is Brecky. Obviously, follow him on Twitter. I'll put him up. I'll tweet a couple times. Make sure he's out there for you guys. Take care, everyone. No, I'm going to explain to you real quick. Can you walk in? But don't be rolling yet. There's a reason for it. So, so I did get that right. I did get that yeah, right. Yeah, you got it right.